Episode 193, The Data of One Million Americans. Today, I speak with Edith Peterson Mitchell, MD, FACP, and we talk about the All of Us research program. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I heard John Nost say the other day that in the future, we won't be organ donors. There will be no need if we can do a little fancy genetic work and clone a kidney. What will be is data donors instead. Today, I'm talking about the All of Us research program with Edith Mitchell, MD, FACP, and professor of medicine over at Jefferson University. Dr. Mitchell also was the 116th president of the National Medical Association amongst her other really impressive credentials. All of Us is the cornerstone of a larger precision medicine program, which is led by the NIH. And the NIH, or National Institute for Health, if you didn't know, is the largest health research entity in the entire world. I actually did not realize that. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Dr. Edith Mitchell, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me to join you today. Let's just start at the beginning. What is all of us? Precision medicine is what all of us is all about. And it is therefore a program to learn about disease processes, to understand them, and it will be the largest the richest biomedical data set ever. And the important thing about this is we're trying to learn about disease processes before they occur in the individual, enabling individualized prevention of disease processes and specific treatment that might allow for greater cures of diseases and better management of these processes over time. It is a collaboration. We don't even call individuals who participate patients because many will not have any kind of diseases. We call them participants. And it's all to accelerate our healthcare research. We're looking for medical breakthroughs. Information about individuals will be given back to the participants so that they can work with their family or their physicians in designing prevention programs. And if we're able to prevent disease, that is a tremendous breakthrough, not only for the United States, but for all individuals in this country. Creating the insights while reducing statistical variability necessary to come up with breakthroughs, that obviously requires an immense amount of data. Where is this data coming from? Anyone in the United States who is over 18 and who can make decisions for themselves can enter the programs. It will reflect the rich diversity of America. We will be able to understand the disease processes that might reflect specific indicators in individual populations. For example, there are some disease processes that tend to occur 
more frequently in individuals of racial and ethnic groups. For example, triple negative breast cancer uh, is a specific and a unique type of breast cancer that tends to occur more frequently in young women and in those of African-American descent. The participants in the program will be partners, so everybody working together, and therefore it breaks the silo between clinicians who take care of patients, researchers, and individuals who are interested in disease processes. You had said that all the data does come from the participants, so you're not getting a download from a health system, for example. The patient can provide information. They may obtain it from their healthcare provider or their physician, or if their physician participates in a electronic medical record system, they may download it from the process of the electronic medical record, but you can only download those things that refer to the individual who gives permission for that. You won't get a total download of 100,000 other patients in that system. So if I'm a health system executive, and there's a a number of them that listen to this podcast, am I going to be getting requests from the NIH for patient data? The request would come from the patient. However, if healthcare systems encourage participation of their beneficiaries, it allows for greater information because of geography. For example, there are communities where there tends to be an increased incidence of various cancers or other disease processes. So this will be an easy way. Let's say if there is a disease process in a given city and everybody is worried about the water and whether drinking water has permitted an increase in certain diseases. If more than one person in that area volunteers and participates in the program, that enhances the opportunity to study is the water in city X contributing to disease in that city. We receive it all the time regarding children with asthma, where there is a pocket either in one city or the whole city where there tends to be a higher amount of asthma in children. So if more people in that area are participating and we can find that there is a pollutant that is contributing to disease, you see how that can be utilized. We've heard over the last few years water systems in certain cities, Michigan, for example, but it's not the only one, where there is concern that the drinking water has been contaminated. If we have more people in that area participating, then we can gain more information. So rather than the healthcare system being worried about are they going to be overloaded with downloads from the system, we should think about uh, the healthcare status of the people that are a part of that healthcare system and defining disease processes, preventing disease processes, and therefore the healthcare system benefiting by having better understanding of the healthcare of its beneficiaries. 
Is it a live feed or is it one moment in time and then the patient's got to authorize re-downloads later? Also, to get another question in there, does, does the data go directly to the NIH? The participant will decide what information should be released. So let's say I'm a participant and I don't want my chest x-ray released. I can mark and choose what I want to be released to the NIH. Yeah, and I think you've made it very clear that this is is certainly participant-driven. It just would seem like there is an insane amount of data that would be necessary to get a handle on all the variables. You know, for example, you had mentioned the water supply. Are you collecting information relative to other variables, which could certainly be at play here? You know, if you're trying to do a statistical, you know, with all the regression errors and all of the, the other various statistical, why clinical trials have all this exclusion criteria, given that people aren't giving all of their information, how do you see this all fitting together in such a way that statistically relevant insights can be extracted? Or is this a critical mass thing? With this program, because of its enormous size, we intend to collect data on more than a million participants. The size of the data will allow for collating and putting people together. It will utilize a lot of information because we're looking at many individuals from all backgrounds, all walks of life. Now, there will be groupings, and it is well recognized from previous research that your zip code may be more important than your genetic code in terms of certain disease processes. So it will group and collate all of this data together so that there will be personal surveys that people will answer some questions. There will be physical evaluations, blood and urine samples, some data from healthcare records and electronic healthcare records if available, but if not available, other healthcare records. And because of the size of this data set, and we don't call it a study, it's not a study. It is a data set where you correlate these things together. So if you have zip codes where there are diseases that are more prevalent than in other areas of the country, we will be able to see that. If there are certain characteristics based on what we call social determinants of health, meaning that your genomic and genetic makeup is important, but diet the area of the country where you live, the area of cities where individuals live that may be more associated with industrial contaminants or industrial pollutants that might offer a greater propensity of diseases. So we'll have all of that data, all of this in one data set, so we can see if people, I'm in Philadelphia, of course, If people in Philadelphia tend to have more of a certain disease, whereas others in Los Angeles or other parts of the country may not, do you see how we'll be able to group information? 
you'd mentioned diet and exercise. Are you taking in feeds from, you know, like I hook up my wearable and the information gets ported directly into you or do I get asked a question, you know, how much do you drink? How much do you exercise? That will be collected more through data forms as opposed to collecting your Fitbit information. In the future, uh, we may be able to connect information that is attached to uh, digital information. You had mentioned genomics as relative to oncology, which I know is something that you know very well, far better than I do. But it's my understanding that doctors run genetic tests on the tumors themselves to see if they carry the mutation that's going to respond to, for example, some of the new immunotherapies or, or targeted drugs. And that there is, let's just say, not as much of a correlation as hoped between an impact on a tumor and not the tumor, but the individual themselves genetics and, and their own personal you know, genetic mutation. Is the idea also to be able to kind of collect that outcomes information or is that a whole different thing that basically you are not collecting, you know, tumor genetics, for example, or outcomes data? You are collecting simply demographic, if you want to call it that, information about the participants. Oh, we will collect information for individuals who have certain diseases. We will collect the outcomes data and we'll be able to correlate their genomic profile with the disease outcomes. So we will better understand why certain people with a disease process might have progressive disease and not do well, and where others might have the same disease and have a more slowly progressive disease process. So it's really correlating disease processes with the immune mechanisms, as well as other mechanisms of the body processes. So if I'm in the clinical trial business, what does this mean to me? So if you're in the clinical trials business as a researcher, you mean? Anyone with a vested interest or an interest in doing clinical trials. Sure. So for individuals who are interested in research, clinical trials, let's say I want to do research on individuals who have certain cancers and who have diabetes, hypertension, or other comorbid and other conditions together, I will be able to query that information, request from NIH information, and if I want to evaluate 100 patients with those diseases, they would de-identify the data And then let's say my research is successful and I identify a characteristic genomic profile or a mutation that might be in individual, and it might be the individuals who are doing better, okay? Or I might ask for individuals who have this disease, and as you know, obesity is very common in this country and is thought to be related to a number of diseases. I could query the data, find 500 people if I need it, or 5,000 who might be obese and have a certain disease. And then I could query everything, collate it, put it all together, and then I could come up with a mutation that leads to obesity 
another mutation that leads to the disease process. And when I find the two together, I know that those patients will do more poorly. So that's how participant information could be used. That's just one way. There's obviously a number, if, if we're calling this a biobank, the, the All of Us program, would that be a fair, is that, is that a... A biobank is part of it because there will be some materials, some biological specimen that will be included, but also the uh, participant personal data, the social determinants of health, income, whether individuals eat fruits and vegetables or tend to eat a lot of fast foods. All of that information will be there. So it's really a data set, not a not only a biobank. Understood. And, and there's a lot of these data sets which are in the works right now. You know, we've got the Department of Veteran Affairs is working on one. Geisinger has one. I think Kaiser has one. Google is working on uh, Project Baseline, I think it's called. Certainly, in terms of scale, I would assume that what the NIH can put together is, is quite a larger scale. Is there other ways that what you are doing differs or is comparable to what these private endeavors are up to? So I think we should not think about competitive programs, but really, how can these programs all interact and the silos broken so that there is a relationship between other research organizations that enhances their ability to conduct those programs. Basically, Stacey, related to the size of this program and the fact that it covers the entire United States. We have a greater diversity that is likely to be reached through the All of Us program. And with all of the participant organizations throughout the United States, there will be greater facilitation of research that other institutions are participating in, greater representation of a more diverse participant force, so that it is very likely to enhance the research that is ongoing by other institutions. And yes, many institutions are conducting that type of research. We do here at Jefferson in Philadelphia. Other institutions in Philadelphia also conduct that type of research, but we're all going to work together in terms of all of us. So I see the All of Us program as enhancing and facilitating research that is being conducted in other institutions throughout the country. What's the timing here? I know that the All of Us program kicked off about three years ago, and the enrollment just started of participants, I believe, in May of 2018. Correct. How long is it anticipated till we get to a critical mass and the data starts to be usable? The program was initiated and launched in 2015, and that was a pilot program to demonstrate the feasibility and the um, processes. It was not widely organized and, uh, until May of 2018, and that was the kickoff throughout the entire country. Now, there are many institutions and networks 
throughout the country in all racial and ethnic communities with lots of participants. And the program is anticipated that we will collect data throughout the next 10 years. Those um, data, however, and the information will be kept and therefore spearhead future research. And depending on the uh, results, it could be renewed after 10 years. But at this time, the plan is to collect information over the next 10 years. And if I am a researcher, is the data housed in a similar way to, like, for example, the Medicare data, which I can go online and download the giant spreadsheet anytime I want? Is it a similar? It would be similar. However, there would be a request to collect data. So there will be a process where researchers can request access to data. It will not be as public as, for example, the SEER data. Uh, But yes, it will be available to researchers. And what's the timing on making it available? I'm exaggerating for purposes of a clear picture here. (laughs) There's 10 people in the database and I request Mm -hmm. data. Am I going to get it? Or is it going to be, you know, withheld until it's assumed that there is a certain number of relevant data points? It depends on the request for research. It depends on the title of the research. If you wanted to evaluate the first 50,000 participants for a given characteristic, that information would be available after 50,000. But we will not wait 10 years after all of the million or more than a million uh, participants have given information in order to start. So the process will include research questions that are submitted and the evaluation based on the question that the researcher has will determine when that information will be available. So you're a clinician. If someone gave you a conclusion that was derived from the data that was collected in the All of Us data set. Sure. Mm-hmm. What questions would you have? What would you fear or what would be your concern of a clinical conclusion that was built off of information and insight that was collected from a program like this? So I think there are a lot of opportunities. For example, uh, colon cancer. We know that there are some colon cancers that are uh, inherited, and not everybody knows that they have those risks. So let's say if there was a colon cancer marker, and my patient brought that into my office and said, I did this All of Us program, and this is a report that I have that I may be at a higher risk of colon cancer than the average person in the United States, I would be delighted to evaluate that patient for colon cancer, do the screening test, and do what I could to prevent that person from developing colon cancer. Does that make sense? It certainly does. And there will be other disease processes also where individuals come in and say, I have a profile back from this program that I'm participating in that says I have a high 
risk of dying of a heart attack by age 45. Obviously, if that person is 30 years old, we could then establish a more aggressive cardiac preventive strategy for that patient. So one of the things that I'm noticing here is that what you're describing right now is not the collection of data. It's drawing conclusions from that data set. Is that part of the mission of the NIH at this time? That will be part of the mission. So overall, what we want to do is develop a collection of data from a diverse population of individuals. And through this research, technology, policies, we work together with the participant, with their clinicians and providers to work together toward development of individualized healthcare. And that healthcare helps us, number one, prevent certain diseases. And number two, diagnose diseases earlier. And number three, develop treatment interventions that are individualized uh, through this precision medicine initiative so that every patient who actually develops a disease is treated by individualized mechanisms rather than a one-shoe-fits-everybody because we know that doesn't work. Are all these trials going to be published? Because I'm, I'm assuming what they're going to do is take the real-world data and then publish. At this time, uh, all research through NIH, there is a requirement for publication. That exists already. So what would happen would be that someone would be looking through the data set, maybe it's artificial intelligence, they would realize that there's some correlation between X, Y, and Z that equaled a higher risk for colon cancer. They would publish, it would be peer-reviewed. and That then would it, be published. And yeah. then at that point, any participant who had uploaded information that would obviously make them susceptible to whatever it was, they would get a letter in the mail? The, I can't say it would be a letter in the mail, but they will be informed. If I am a community, you know, patient advocacy group or a, you know, physician practice or anyone that would be interested in ensuring that my local community participated mm -hmm. in this for all of the reasons that you're just talking about, mm -hmm. what do I do? One can go to joinallofus.org. That's one way. And the other at all of us research hashtag join all of us. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Edith Peterson Mitchell, MD. Well, thank you. This is a pleasure and privilege, and I encourage others to obtain more information about the All of Us program, whether one is potentially a participant or a researcher or a clinician. As a clinician, I am encouraging my patients to participate in all of us. And I have experienced other groups, churches, for example, encouraging uh, participation, families encouraging participation. There are regional medical centers that are encouraging their healthcare participants and insurances, encouraging participation, universities, and many other organizations. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, 
you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.